Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons podcast. In this edition, we review the highlights from our 2014 episodes, provide the occasional backstory, and learn that our podcast may exist in multiple universes. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 73, Review 2014, January 8th, 2015. So, Carmen, are you looking forward to the new year? Well, of course. I mean, I don't really have much choice, do I? Well, you don't. <laughs> I suppose you don't have to look forward to the new year. You could be, uh, you know, in a state of depression about the overall state of the world and uh, thinking, oh, my, uh, this is this is uh, just a horrible thing to encounter. Or you could be, hey, it, the world's great. I can't hardly wait for the next day to appear and, and I can get into the world and I can I can make it a better place. We'll, we'll go with that. I was excited about the beer <laughs> hall I brought back from Buffalo. <laughs> uh, I haven't had enough time to spoil that yet, and I'm looking forward to trying some of the stuff that I can't get down here. But, right. Yeah. And so, 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 so was it a large number of new beers or just, you know, a, a small number in large quantities? Jeez, uh, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so, some aged beer that had been sitting in my parents' fridge for a while that I just hadn't drank. Um, then some gifts that people had given us and then just stocking up at the store. Hmm. Okay. So you may be able to answer this. I was at a restaurant in the last couple of weeks where they had aged beers and I never knew that beers should be or could be aged. And they were offering beers from like 2005 and offering a premium or asking a premium price for it. Yeah. What is going on? Yeah. If it's from 2005 and still drinkable, there's a premium price on that one. Um, yeah. A lot of beer styles actually can be aged. Um, if the bottle specifically tells you to age it, then yes, you can. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a gift for Kelly. Um, it's from a brewery in Oregon called The Shoots, and it's an ale they brew once a decade, and it's supposed to be good until the next time they brew the ale. So this one's four years old. It was brewed in 2010. Um, but yeah, if it was from 2005, my guess is it would be a Belgian ale, um, okay. some kind of Belgian style. Those typically age the best from what reading I've done. Yeah, generally higher alcohol, not hop character-driven beers. Yes, yeah. Most IPAs, unless they're labeled as ageable, you don't want to age, you know, you don't want to cellar because the hops will break down and you'll lose all the beer flavor. Hmm. Yeah. Sour beer ages really well. Mm-hmm. So if you're aging scotch or you're aging bourbon, these types of things, they typically they tend to become a little mellower with age. Is that the case with the uh, uh, with the aged beer? Yes, definitely. Um, we just said don't age IPAs, but the one exception to that rule so far that I found is, um, 120 minute IPA from Dogfish Head. When, mm -hmm. when it's fresh, I would be so bold as to say it's almost undrinkable. It, <laughs> it smells like alcohol and nail polish remover. Um, <laughs> lovely. It, it, it tastes better than it smells, but it's definitely a slow sipper. You're not going to drink it at a bar and, you know, pound it down with your friends. It's like, oh, I have a fire going and I'm not doing anything tonight type of beer. Right. But if you age it for a year and a half, two years, it just mellows out and becomes so much more drinkable. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I, I'm, I actually got two bottles of that that I'm sitting on. So, uh, I'll let you know in a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
Fantastic. Well, we should probably move on with uh, tonight's episode. We, we, uh, we're going to do a review of, of the episodes we did during 2014. Wonderful. Uh, despite, the, despite the fact that talking about beer is a favorite activity here on the Engineering Commons. And as, as we get started, we have a few corrections from last episode. As I was putting together the show notes, I realized that we had goofed on a couple of things. So the first thing is that Getting Things Done was the book written by David Allen, not Paul Allen. And uh, so I think that, uh, Carmen, you probably had, you know, too much software thinking on your mind. You were talking about the, I believe, the the Microsoft programmer, Paul Allen. Is that correct? Yes, yes. You know, everybody who listens <laughs> to the show knows I'm quite the programmer. So I, I probably was talking about <laughs> Paul Allen by mistake. Uh, and then I mentioned, uh, I talked about Kanban u- being used in, in manufacturing places, and I really wasn't very specific. Uh, Kanban is, or Kanban is really uh, more specifically used for inventory control, not just general information sharing. So I apologize to the, those of you that are manufacturing specialists and said, Oh, my goodness, Jeff doesn't know what he's talking about. That's often the case. Jeff doesn't know what he's talking about. And finally, I mentioned the, the notebook I use. I slip in my pocket for keeping notes, and I said it was a moleskine cashmere, which was not even close. Uh, it's the Moleskine Cahier, uh, spelled C-A-H-I-E-R. So the French word for, I believe, notebook. Yes, I believe that's report. true. Notebook? Okay. <laughs> so High school French, you know, doesn't fail me. <laughs> so those are the uh, uh, corrections from, from the last episode. Uh, we, th- we certainly make uh, errors in other episodes, and I don't always – insist that we stop and correct those. But the fact that we had three uh, noticeable ones in the same episode, I thought we'd stop and, and uh, try to fix those. Mm-hmm. Let's just call uh, it artistic license from now on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can do that. We'll, we'll do like Marvel and just have, you know, separate multiverses. So in, in our universe, getting things done really was written by Paul Allen. Wow. That's good. Boom. You're thinking. Now, now there's canon our listeners have to keep track of. And oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> We could have the official guide to the engineering commons. We could sell this. This is going to be great. You know, we could throw all sorts of retcon in there, which I know people love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually talk to Chris Gamble two weeks ago. That was uh, that was some other guy. <laughs> Are we going to have dream episodes as well? Oh, of course. Yeah, this is all yeah. in our head right now. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, and, and before we started recording, we were talking about uh, some of the episodes we want to do in the coming year. And one of the things we're always looking for are – engineers to talk to. And so if, uh, if you want to come on the show and talk about your career and your interest and your life as an engineer, send, you know, fire us off a note, admin at the engineeringcommons.com. Or if you know someone that you think we should talk to, fire us off a note and, uh, let us know because as we, as we go on year by year, I'm going through many of my contacts and I hate to go back time after time and say, Hey, do you want to come back on the show uh, one more time? We we want to get the uh, the stories from engineers all over the place, and not just uh, just those engineers that I happen to uh, have run into during the course of my career. Uh, and the uh, the other guys uh, have invited a few of their colleagues on as well. But uh, we'd like to expand it. We're getting more listeners as time goes along. And if you're one of those listeners and you think you've got an interesting story, let us know. Or you think you've got a, a colleague or an acquaintance that uh, we should talk to. Let us know. We'll uh, we'll give it some consideration. And let's just face it: if it's just the four of us talking, this is going to get really boring pretty quickly. Well, hopefully, it isn't too boring too quickly. So please help us out. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just dust off our old finance books and do part two. Everyone <laughs> loved that episode. <laughs> oh, the, the, the accounting for engineers? Oh, yeah. Mm. So now you're going to get into <laughs> threats there, Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> Extorting our listeners for guests. Well, let us uh, – let us review what we did in 2014. Yeah. Jeez, we did quite a few of these episodes. It's almost like we had a regular schedule. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the first one that we did in, in January, well, actually, we did a review 2013, which was our first one in January last year. Uh, but in later January, we did one uh, called Project Management, where Adam led us through a discussion of uh, project management. Uh, and I suppose the the uh, the thing I remember is coming across the term. Uh, I think it was Brian's term of science project. I'd never heard anyone talk about a, a engineering development effort being a science project before, but but his description made a lot of sense. That there come to be those projects where you're just doing basic scientific research and you're not really designing or getting anything accomplished. You're just sort of uh, trying to feel out the basics of of how the world works around you. So, uh, Brian, thank you for that uh, that term. I I like it. The curse, <laughs> the curse of the, the curse of the science project. Yeah, yep. the best is when it gets rolled into an actual project. Oh, and the best is when a science project is sold. Yeah, <laughs> before it's completed. Oh, of course. Well, what do you mean by that? How do you? How would you sell a science project? Oh, uh, well, I mean, ideally, anytime you sell an engineering project, you want to have a customer in mind and even better have a customer who's paid for a project. Uh, uh, the so worst is when the project in question is a science project and uh, you're now on the hook for it. Okay. <laughs> so what you're saying is to be avoided. Best, if you've got a client who's willing to pay for your costs of doing your science project. Uh, generally customers don't like to pay for the cost of science. Generally customers don't want to buy science projects. You rarely are going to get a customer to say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm willing to accept the development cost of a open-ended, uh, non-solved problem. And, right. uh, and, and so generally you have to convince somebody convinces somebody that it's, it's already a solved problem. <laughs> and, okay. and sometimes I think it's just wishful thinking. It's just a trivial manner of this one one little thing we got to just iron out and it'll yeah. be fine. It's only cold fusion we have to figure out. Yes, we have not put antimatter into silicon yet. It's just going to be in our phones next year. Yeah. And and so the uh this this uh, knowledge this this background in project management Adam, have you used this extensively in the past year? Uh, Has it continued to contribute to your career? Uh yes, actually. Um over the course of the last year, I um, moved into a new position partially as a project manager. So uh, this is kind of my, well, maybe not daily life, but pretty close. Mm -hmm. um, and do you still refer to the, uh, uh, to the book you referenced in that episode, A Guide to the Project Management Body of Knowledge? Yeah, the PMBOK. Um, I don't refer to it too often, uh, mostly because it's very – it's like going back to a, a calculus book. <laughs> you know, the stuff you need to know, you know, and the stuff you don't need to know, or is, you know, all stuff you don't need to know, and that's what's in the book. Um, right. But there's a, there's a lot to it, and, uh, I mean, th that theory is good, just like calculus, for someone who's getting started to, to kind of know the terms and know what's going on, but, you know, get into it for a year or two, and 
it becomes hopefully second nature. Yeah, looking back at this episode, I I still want to tip my hats to the uh the project managers who keep all our meetings focused. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so often it it seems as we're discussing, you know, what's supposed to just be a quick update of your status, it'll my our meetings devolve into a uh a technical discussion, sometimes relevant to my day-to-day, sometimes good to know but not necessarily the focus of the meeting and having someone there who can just say take that offline and keep everything going is is great also someone who has the end date in mind too i mean it, you know as we get caught up in these minutiae and bugs and trying to make everything perfect someone has to say hey guys there's a ship date <laughs> right the customer doesn't have samples you know before their big build they're not going <laughs> to buy us yep yeah no a good project manager is a excellent thing to have uh, nearby okay well so we we moved into our next episode which was troubleshooting uh, which was in early February with uh, our guest Bob Schmidt, and uh, Bob Schmidt had had written a book that uh, originally was called "The Dog Barks When the Phone Rings: An Engineer's Guide to Solving Problems." And I think he he tweaked the uh, uh, the title a little bit for the next go round because he uh, he was hearing from professors that they couldn't use that book title <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, put it on their uh, required reading list. Uh, get get students to take him seriously. So I think he's got a new. Uh, uh, I think it's like an engineer's guide to problem solving is the is the official title in the in the new version. But uh, he came on and talked a little bit about troubleshooting, and certainly troubleshooting is one of those skills that's very valuable in engineering, but isn't isn't covered much in school. Yeah, definitely. And his book is a great reference, even if you don't think you uh, you, you need to brush up on troubleshooting. You know, I, I still found quite a few useful things in there, especially about communicating with others. Um, as I read it on a plane this year. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, Bob had a lot of good stories too. Well, he he loves stories, yeah. And and if he told us, he, you know, the story about why the dog barks when the phone rings, and that's a that's if you haven't listened to it, go back to that episode. Uh, it's episode forty eight, and uh, take a listen to it. That's a pretty good story. Definitely, we'll have to have Bob back on one day. We will. Foreshadowing. <laughs> So the next episode was uh, somebody that you invited, uh, Carmen. Yes, uh, Cherish, episode 49, our Women in Engineering episode. And it was good to finally chat with Cherish. Uh, I'd worked with her back on the engineer blogs. And uh, I, I like this episode because it was, it was nice to hear a side of engineering um, that happens pretty much every day for women that I'm not necessarily part of. And uh, just getting you know some eye-opening experience or eye-opening word of mouth i guess into that was yeah. was pretty useful um i seem to remember some pretty good discussion in this episode also about academia versus practical um you know theoretical versus practical engineering mm-hmm. although that seems to be a common theme in all our episodes well, <laughs> quite a few of them at least yes uh yeah maybe more so than others yeah, well, I think this one was because Cherish is actually still in the academia field um, as she's doing her PhD. And, uh, you know, that, that was also a lot of good discussion, too, about just the perception of engineer in general. When she talked about her episode or her blog post where they talked about um, me stumbling over my words like I'm a professional or something here. <laughs> <laughs> when she talked about, uh, you know, doing the experiment with the elementary school kids, you know, where they asked them to draw an engineer or a scientist and... It was always a stereotypical lab coat and goggles, and you know. Then they introduced them to real engineers and real people in STEM fields, and it was very different from what the kids had, uh, you know, 
envisioned in their head. Yeah. And I, I must say, I really wasn't aware of the social signals that women received that discouraged them from pursuing an engineering career. You know, Cherish, I guess, made me really open my eyes to to that uh, that pressure. And some of our other female guests have, again, told stories that that have made me more aware of the the obstacles that women fight in uh, or they have to overcome in trying to pursue an engineering career. So, yeah, and it's a little things that at least I would never have have thought of, but once once she talked about them, I was, you know, my eyes kind of opened and I was like, "Wow, yeah, that would that would piss me off if that was me in that, <laughs> that situation." Um right. the one that really rings true or really stands out is um you know, when she's with her husband and they introduce him as, you know, this is Cherish's husband, he's an electrical engineer, and this is his wife, Cherish, and they don't mention her engineering title. Yeah, small things that you that uh, I, people may not do intending to be cruel or, or hurtful, but uh, do do carry an emotional load. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounded, at least in Cherish's case, if I'm remembering the episode correctly, there was never a big, you know, like, no girls allowed sign hung up on the engineering lab, but it, it sounded more like a death by a thousand cuts type thing. Yeah. And that, that's almost harder to change. You know, you can you can point your finger at the, the no girls allowed sign and lead a campaign against it. But when it's just little things like we mentioned that you you can just slip up even and do unintentionally, that, that's harder to to change, I, I would think. Yeah. But not that it's not worth trying. Right. So in our next episode, uh, we had uh, Mike Parks on and we talked about art and engineering. Yeah. He was a fellow podcaster, too, wasn't he? He is. Uh, he's got the uh, the Steam. I think it's the Steam podcast where he talks about the A being the art in STEM, S T E A M. Yes. Science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Yes, and uh, the important thing from that episode was the A is not necessarily finger painting and poetry, but um, there's a sort of passion that needs to be there. Yeah, engineering is a creative endeavor in and of itself, and that art side does foster that more than you know sitting doing math problems yeah you can you can solve all the drill problems you want but if you don't know how to apply them in in crunch time and you know meet your deadlines then you know there's how good of an engineer are you really or employable of an engineer yes yes that's true (laughs) better way to put it i guess yeah and i suppose if you're not able to do something in a creative manner somebody somebody's going to automate your job anyway right some algorithm to uh do the calculate, you know, if you're doing the same calculations over and over, somebody's going to figure out a way to program you out of the, out of a job. So eventually, yeah. So art is good. The other thing that I liked was, uh, I thought wire wrapping was a lot, a lost art, but it appears that, um, Mike still wire wraps his prototype board. So I was glad somebody was car- carrying on the tradition. Oh, God. I've seen, <laughs> I don't think I've ever come across someone doing that in my, my experience so far. I, I did her somewhere wrapping early on, and I do. I mean, I'm glad I had the experience, but I'm glad that circuit boards have gotten really cheap. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it it seemed like the very easy thing to screw up and yeah, you the know. problems weren't very repeatable when you wire wrapped. Mm-hmm. And I making changes was a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, I accidentally wired. You know, this node to uh, ground instead of EDD. Well, there's there's not a wire unwrapping tool. <laughs> there actually is. It's, it's just called the, wire cutters. No, it's just run the tool backwards. 
Yeah, but if you already moved on to your next one and it's oh yeah, you're days hot. down the line. Yeah, yeah. The the trouble is when you've got a pin and you've got three wires that have gone to that same pin and it's wire number one at the bottom of the stack you want to remove, then it's messy. Air wiring. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in uh in mid March we talked to Dave Young and we did an episode, episode fifty one about product development. And uh, talked to, a little, with him a little bit about how he goes about trying to guide his clients in developing new products. Yes, and he Dave was our first repeat guest, wasn't he? We might have had oh, Jim uh, Heilman on. And Clay Coons, too. Didn't he come on twice? Well, Clay came on later in the year. We'll talk about his episode in a little bit. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. But but it was an excellent episode, if for no other reason that we did get to talk about beer in that episode. Oh yes, one of, I think this was one of our first big beer discussions. <laughs> the uh, the keg jacket for lagering. Yeah, uh, didn't he have the Peltier driven product too? Yes. Mm-hmm. The uh, one of his clients, yeah, his brew jacket. They had the uh, the lager jacket for home brewers who can't keep their lagers cool during fermentation, which is key. Yes. Yep. And one of the point. Go ahead. I was going to say, going going back to the engineering part of that episode, uh, <laughs> Dave uh, runs a, a summer camp, Blue Stamp Engineering. Yeah, and seems to be doing a a great job of of guiding people into the field of engineering. I, I was really impressed by his his program. We in an early episode, uh, Chris and I talked with him about that program, and uh, so in this episode, uh, he gave us a bit of an update. But the fact that he's able to go out and find Sponsors, either either uh, families that are willing to pay money to have their child uh, work on an engineering project, or or he's able to go out and find sponsors to help those who can't afford uh, the tuition. And uh, in fact, he's able to find students too is pretty admirable. Yeah, and I don't think this is a big money making effort on his end. I think he does it because he thinks it needs to be done. But uh, uh, he seems to, you know, every year it seems to be growing, and he's got uh, these uh, these projects. I think it was uh, he had it underway in New York and Houston, and I'm thinking it was he was starting up in San Francisco. So yep, yep, Denver too. As I'm looking back here at the show notes. Okay. And the the other piece of advice that I really uh, remember from this show was uh, you hear it several times, or you hear it over and over again. But Dave uh, reinforced this: is that young engineers, uh, first time engineering entrepreneurs, often fall into the trap of believing that if they build a better mousetrap that it will automatically lead to economic success <laughs> and just is not the way people don't buy better mousetraps. Uh, they, they tend to buy things that give them social status and make them feel better and uh, you know, give them hope. <laughs> or they buy cheap mousetraps because they don't want to spend the money. <laughs> or they buy cheap mousetraps, right. Because so, they're on sale at Costco. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of things other than, you know, we as engineers, we we want to think that if we just build a better design, come up with a better design, that will solve all the problems. And uh, there's, a, there's a complex world out there and a lot of issues that go into finding a product that sells well in the marketplace. If only it were that easy. <laughs> uh, well, our next episode, we made a little tweak on the release date to get it released on April 1st. And this was our April Fool's episode where we talked about uh, engineering pranks. Mm -hmm. We discussed uh, a little bit of the history of pranks and some famous ones that have happened throughout the years and uh, any current pranks as well. Yeah, and it was, it was fun to uh, to introduce the show with uh, the Amp Hour theme song. Uh, Chris Gamble was very kind about uh, helping out with our phony introduction, giving us permission to use the uh, theme song and even uh, 
even giving us one of his three word titles that we could uh, that we could use. So thank you to Chris. Yeah, that was also the uh, the kickoff episodes of the Tar Road podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll have to go back and do another episode of that. Uh, that would be fun. I did learn a lot about I did learn a lot about roads that day. <laughs> that was really Adam's time to shine. Yeah, concrete yeah. or tar, Adam. What was that? Have we come to a consensus yet whether it was concrete or tar? Uh, they're uh, very different things. Oh, we wanted to get get it out of a straight answer. Is are are you in favor of concrete or tar? Well, not tar, because tar is not a road building <laughs> material. Oh, sorry, asphalt. <laughs> um, no comment. Is that an acceptable <laughs> answer? Nope. You got to take a firm stance. Got to take a firm stance. All civil engineers out there want to know. It depends. Yeah, yeah. Same <laughs> same way. All electrical engineers have to come down on BJTs or MOSFETs. You got you got asphalt or you got concrete. That's easy. Yeah, MOSFETs, you got to pick one. Yeah. Who's gonna Who's gonna take the BJT argument? I'm I'm not old enough to take the BJT argument, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. Sure, why not? <laughs> well, when you 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 take a side to, of an argument, sometimes you have to resort to storytelling to sell your side of the argument. Nice oh, wait, I want to humble brag about the engineering pranks real fast. Oh, go ahead. If I'm allowed, if if you guys, you know, I don't want to get a big head or anything here. No, no, I I had a, a I had a beautiful transition going, but you have to go back. Go ahead, <laughs> do it. Sorry about ruining your segue. <laughs> uh, I w- I was just going to say, speaking of uh, you know engineering pranks, we we talked about a lot a lot about the one I've done on my coworker, and it's actually being discussed in um an interview circuit sellers doing with me in an upcoming episode. So nice. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody can check that out online or uh, they even sell them in some Barnes and Nobles still, too. Wow. You can, you can get the dead tree version. Yeah. You should replace some of that guy's uh, 10K ohm with uh, one ohm resistors. Oh, yeah. That would be great. I'll just reach inside the IC and swap it all around. I meant on the app board. Oh, on the app board. Well, I designed the app board. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, be on the lookout for that. I think it's in February, maybe. So cool. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That was fun working with those guys. All right, Jeff, let's pretend I, I didn't ruin that. What's your segue? Oh, it's too late now. <laughs> oh, damn. Thank you for that lovely story, Carmen. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I just, wanted, I just wanted to humble brag a little bit and you guys gave me permission. That, that's what this is all about. Storytelling. Oh, boom. <laughs> I ruined it again, too. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh. So the uh, the episode uh, in um, mid-April was with uh, Craig Sampson, who has uh, had a career with uh, IDEO. I kept saying IDEO, and he says it IDEO, I believe. Hmm. But anyway, he had a long, long uh, career in uh, product design and has moved on to be an advisor and uh, run his own consulting company. And uh, he talked a lot about the the emotional – uh, response that design can bring about and the importance of that emotional design and uh, how storytelling played into that, how you, how you use the stories uh, to try to evoke emotional response and to gather emotional response to, to sort of evaluate the, the, the emotional temperature of the people you're dealing with. So I thought it was a really interesting episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's on my list of uh, ones to re-listen to here as I get a chance. Yeah, he had a couple of interesting books he suggested. One was Understanding Comics, The Invisible Art, and another one was Winning the Story Wars. So there's a couple of those that I, I hadn't come across before that I'll have to go back and uh, 
try to pick up at some point if I can make my way through all the other books that I'm trying to <laughs> make my way through. Here's a good way to get more uh, listeners to come on the show. If we run out of guests, we'll start reading chapters from all these books. Ooh. <laughs> uh, let's get an audio or uh, audible sponsorship first, though, so we can always link to the book. One, one slow page at a time. We, we do have enough books backlogged. And that's how you get a sponsor is by giving away their content for free. <laughs> All right, fine. We never do more than one chapter per show. <laughs> if you want more audiobooks like this, go to <laughs> Except better. <laughs> do you want real professionals reading your books? <laughs> Why not just cut out the middle, man, and go buy it through this affiliate link? Well, I will say I, I downloaded a podcast that were, was chapters of a book that was uh, free, had been done by volunteers, and I can't remember the organization that had done it, but it was a little disconcerting that every chapter had a different voice, and you kind of get into the rhythm of listening to the to the chapter, and then chapter two was a completely different voice, uh, re, you know, different style. So I guess you get what you pay for in that, in that case. <laughs> We should do it every paragraph just to make it all that much more uh, disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we could we could interrupt each other in the mid-sentence, right? You know, just dis- decide where we're going to trade off and Ooh. all four of us could read every sentence. I think we've got a future in audiobooks. <laughs> just alternate <laughs> words. <laughs> or syllables, even, if we want to get crazy. I'll have to get my ping deviation consistently below a thousand to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's just string an Ethernet cable between all four of our houses, and that, that should work, right? That's how uh, the Internet goes? It, yeah. It's probably better than what I have. <laughs> We've we just got to get uh, Audible to fly us to the same location, to the same recording studio, so we can record in the same room. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. We'll get right on that. I'll draft the email now. Excellent. I don't think I was around for episode 54, Brain on a Stick. I think this might have been around the time of my honeymoon. Well, congratulations again. Yes, actually it was, because thank you. It was released on May 1st, so it was recorded while I was on Honeymoon. For some reason, I want to believe this is just uh, you and I, Jeff. I well, we, so. did have, we, we did have a guest. Well, plus our guest, yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Kai Drung, who uh, is, uh, he's in Denmark now, I believe. That sounds um, right. But thank you for pronouncing it so I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And... Uh, but anyway, he had uh, he had posted a YouTube video talking about engineers and how engineers were viewed as just brains on a stick. And I think he had borrowed that from uh, the PhD comics. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking – I'm trying to remember what the, the guy's name that uh, draws those. George something. Cham. And Cham. And uh, so he had borrowed that. But uh, it was an interesting way that the of, of thinking about engineers is that uh, – we are viewed often as just a brain on a stick, nothing more than a brain to be, to be used and uh, discarded with uh, once things are done. And, and so he had some interesting ideas about how engineering education might, uh, might broaden the horizons of young engineers. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of uh, dehumanization going on in this podcast. Um, and we, it was a pretty intense education podcast, even for us, from what I can recall. And when you say dehumanization, I'm hoping that there was nothing about the podcast that we weren't dehumanizing other people that we were, that was just the subject of discussion. It was the, yeah, subject. um. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We, we weren't, we, we weren't calling him out and saying, 
Kai, your ideas are worth nothing. Not even you're not human. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing maybe one like way that. we can combat the uh, brain on a stick notion is to you know challenge the perceptions. You know, maybe get a little more of that art in there that Mike was talking about, or tell our stories better, and uh, you know just just help change the public opinion of us at large, and we can kind of do away with that notion. Yeah, I really think that a sense of Artistic freedom is important in allowing engineers to come up with, you know, new ideas and new ways of doing things. And if you're constantly just going back to the textbooks and doing the way it, you know, doing things the way they've already been solved, the way they've always been done, I don't think you're adding that much to a, to an organization. Yeah. You're not, you're not pushing the bubble of, uh, what's possible. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, again, we don't need to rehash the entire story. Schools don't do a very good job. I don't think of encouraging that creative notion because the the curriculum is it's either yes or no we have to grade you and if we're grading you on art projects then it becomes more difficult than if we're grading you on a calculus problem um, but then again you know people go to art school and they get grades and they survive that so there must be something we can learn about that yeah open-ended question i'm sure we'll tackle again in this coming year <laughs> yeah we always seem to well uh Next episode, uh, we brought back one of our former guests, uh, Clay Coons, who's a engineer who works with engines and someone Jeff's known for, for several years. And Clay always just yeah, has a long time. Clay just always has great stories though. Um, <laughs> he does. <laughs> I think we should get him back next year and just have a, a trilogy of Clay Coons episodes. Okay. Well, I'm, I am going to see him tomorrow, so I will ask him about it. All right. <laughs> You should uh, should you should buy him a beer with all this podcast money we're rolling in, <laughs> <laughs> right? This is also alternate universe stuff. Yeah, it might be a very small beer in the real real world. Um, One of the free tasters a lot of the bars will give you. <laughs> it's about all we can afford. So Jeff, yes, <laughs> I'm looking at your notes and I, I literally went, oh, two non SI units. One horsepower equals thirty three thousand foot pounds per minute. Yep. Jeez. So it's it's changing that uh, the mechanical engineers of the world are being taught things in, in metric units. And so things like watts, you know, might come up a little more often. But, you know, when I was in school, everything was in horsepower and foot pounds and, and all English units. And uh, so I have a tough time converting. I mean, I, you know, I see a distance I want to convert to inches and, and feet because I, that's what I feel more comfortable with. So anywhere in that episode, Clay was asking me if I could remember some torque equations, and I I claimed that there was something with I think sixty six thousand or something in it, and I I had missed the fact that one horsepower was equal to thirty three thousand foot pounds per minute. I'm the same way. I mean, when I'm laying out a board, I'll do placement and metric, and then do routing and imperial units because, well, reasons I guess. <laughs> but thirty three thousand foot pounds. It just it uh, small number equals huge number, which when I move it to real numbers doesn't actually seem that big. Real numbers, well, non-freedom numbers. I saw that in a Reddit thread the other day. Somebody oh. ever, somebody said that zero Celsius was thirty-two in freedom numbers. That's why it's uh-huh. F, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I like this episode because I got to learn about something a little bit out of my area. I'm not a real big automotive guy, and uh, 
a lot of this was over my head, but I still love learning about it nonetheless. I got to talk like I knew uh, quite a bit, though, you know, noting that the uh, the Porsche had 10 cylinders, the Carrera GT, <laughs> and the 917 had 12, and there was a prototype with 16, you know. My my one piece of trivia. Yeah. It's all you, you electromechanical guys. You you know what you're talking about. I have no idea. Well, you you also uh, contributed in with uh, the mnemonic phrase, suck, squeeze, bang, blow, for the cycles of an engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was impressed that you knew that. Uh, I can thank my gearhead friends for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when we did the podcast, we never really did go back and explain where that came from. Uh, it's in the show you know, notes. This, well, no, the, the mnemonic is in there, but we really never said, okay, the suck part is where you've got uh, you suction, you're bringing the fuel into the piston, squeeze, you've got the compression, bang, you've got the explosion, you ignite it blow you exhaust the uh, exhaust the cylinder we never really explained that during the rest of the podcast no no not in not in words now we've got it or spoken words i guess <laughs> <laughs> so our, our next episode moved in a completely different direction yes uh, this, that was again with uh, somebody that you brought to our attention carmen yes and unlike uh, engines with clay coons that i knew nothing about this one was uh, right up my alley and it was the analog footsteps episode and this was with uh todd nelson from linear technology and uh, this, he he still runs his site, Analog Footsteps, and he, he told us a lot of great stories about um, all the old analog guys from yesteryears. That site is an awesome read. Oh yeah, it, it's long form, well researched. Uh, sometimes with quotes as he goes and around the linear hallway and asks engineers who are still working, you know, what was your take on, you know, this event like. Uh, you know, bringing a sheep to the front office of, oh, God, I'm going to lose my analog credit here. I can't remember what it was. Is it national or linear? And letting the sheep mow the grass and then taking them to the bar afterwards or whatever. A lot of these guys are still walking the halls and, you know, he's asking them their stories. Yeah, I think the the neat thing about this, uh, you know, the semiconductor industry, in, in this case, really the analog semiconductor industry, is that it's young enough that we can capture all this. Cer- certainly, there were engineers involved in other industries when, when there was, you know, steam power and, uh, uh, tra- you know, power transmission and early, you know, chemical development that must have been doing the same sort of things, but there was just nobody around to capture it to, to record all this. I hear James Watts pranks were legendary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So we got a whole episode just on James Watt coming up. I mean, heck, Edison electrocuted an elephant that was an awesome prank <laughs> not for the elephant prank but sure we'll go with it <laughs> yeah. um I, I think part of the reason too why you know analog engineers have so many stories it seems or electronics engineers in general is because you're you're encouraged to write app notes and, and tell others about your circuit and you know if you're good at it you can inject some of your personality in there so it's not just technical writing and a lot of the guys that were good analog circuit designers also happen to have a good personality and, you know, that they published a great number of works and, you know, you felt like you really got to know them through the years as they, they released more and more. Mm-hmm. And so it just could be, you know, the fact that there's more, more information to look at, whereas, you know, I, I don't know if there's app notes on the latest engine that Ford is using in the new car or whatever. Uh, probably not. Yeah, exactly. They're they're probably but, internal, you know. I mean, who? No one's just buying a Ford engine to use in a go kart or something. Maybe maybe they are. Someone probably is, but in general, 
Well, and the other thing is that, it, you know, so circuitry is getting bigger and so it's getting more complex. But at one point, a single designer could sit down and design one of these circuits. There's no single person that's going to sit down and design the Ford engine. That's true. And it is, you know, fast becoming that way with ICs unless you're doing the, you know, the dime a dozen linear regulators. And even those still probably have a couple guys working on them too. Right. And so this this working together is an indication. It's one thing that engineers do. And in fact, episode 57, our next episode was what engineers do. Nice segue. uh, Hey, (laughs) we've had a little practice. And uh, so we came on to just just sort of talk about the things that that don't get talked about in school. The idea is like uh, when you come up with an answer – Coming up with the right answer, the correct solution is not the big thing. It's coming up with a design that's on the proper side of the correct answer. So if you have a bridge and it will fail under a load of, you know, X number of tons, the important thing is not that you calculated X tons correctly. The important thing is you designed a bridge and had a bridge built that will support greater than X tons so it never collapses. And so uh, these sort of uh, nuances are are things that aren't covered in school. And we we had a little conversation about in, in that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also talked about the value of uh, skepticism and not taking everything people say for granted, but it, it, you got to walk a line because too much and you know, then you're not a team player and you're the just disgruntled employee that no one wants to work with. Yeah, and Brian, I think, had a pretty good quote about um, how an engineer, engineering degree is really just a learner's, learner's permit. Um, and I, I encourage all new grads who are listening to, to really take that to heart. You still got a lot to learn. By the way, I lifted that quote from somebody, and I cannot okay. provide it. I cannot provide a attri- uh, proper attribution. How, how do you verbally insert citation needed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I just did it. <laughs> All right. That, that'll work for me. Right. And uh, so after we talked about uh, what engineers do, we had an episode where one of our guests canceled at the last minute. We were getting ready to record, and the guest, uh, I got an email that said the guest couldn't join us. You know, the, there was a, a sort of an emergency that they needed to take care of. And so that led to episode 58, which was titled Miscellany, because we really had no outline. We had no idea where the conversation was going. We yeah. just this turned on the recorder and went. A very last minute cancellation. <laughs> oh, man. I'm looking at our notes and we do jump around all over the place. I don't even understand things that I know I did. What is the Midas plague? <laughs> I mean, I remember. Yeah, so, oh, go ahead. So the Midas Plague is, was a short story that was written about what happens when automation takes over everything. Uh, and the idea was that because ro- because robots were available, the production of everything was so cheap that those who were poor and less fortunate, it was incumbent upon them to do all the consumption. And only the rich were rich enough to avoid having to do any consumption. Ah, uh, I see. Hmm. Oh, that makes that makes sense. Considering, I mean, that okay? Because my comment on that is the pyramids. Was it aliens? <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh man! Yes, I remember that because we were all, we were were we talking about uh, oh that that YouTube video. Humans need not apply. And oh yeah, from uh, CGP Gray, right? Yeah. Yes. And actually, did that even make the show notes? I don't see it there. 
of course, that might have been an offline conversation that was driving a lot of the things that we were talking about. That's true. We also mentioned uh, solar roadways as well and yeah, stamp hour bits. Solar and roadways. Which is one of my favorite things ever. <sighs> so, Adam, concrete, asphalt, or solar roadways? <laughs> yeah, photovoltaics. It's future-proofing. Um, okay, yeah. I, need, I need to put we need to be we need you on the record. Not solar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about uh, little little masses? You know, magnets that that go in between a spring. So as you drive over, it it creates an electric charge and you store it somewhere. <sighs> I think that the status quo is just fine. Concrete and asphalt. It depends. But how are we going to turn the roads into Internet of Things roads, Adam? You're thinking too small. We, we're we doing just fine making the roads Internet no, of Things. No, you had a pause. You're lawyered. You're huh? done. What? You had a pause. <laughs> You're lawyered. You're done. Oh. We got to update our roads. Adam, has anyone considered making roadways out of fiber optic cable? Because we could take care of this bandwidth problem and our roadway problem at the same <laughs> <Yes>. time. Yes. <laughs> Even the Internet's better. a series of tubes. Let's just turn the roads into Internet tubes that Inter- we drive internet on. Internet tubes. Oh. Even better. Solar-powered fiber optic roadways. Oh, God. And since the roads are fiber optic cable, they automatically qualify for Internet of Things. Exactly. Uh, oh, my God. If we could somehow work 3D printers into this and an Arduino, I think we'd <laughs> yes, be Yes, I was about dream. to say I was about to say it's Arduino powered. And and so now when there's a giant accident on I-70, Kansas City loses all its internet service? Yeah. <sighs> yes. Only if Everybody the car explodes. That, right? I mean, come on. Does, 70, does 70 pass through Kansas City? <laughs> only, only if the car explodes and takes out a big chunk of the roads. I mean, come on. We're not, not going to just actually drive over the internet cables. There's going to be like a plexiglass surface over them. Flying cars, Jeff. Because that'll Flying solve cars. everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that we gave you the idea, Adam, you'll get some sketches together. And uh-huh. But we do the 2015 review, we'll, we'll be, you know, laughing our way to the bank. <laughs> so, now, so now that you've had half a year to think about it, Adam. Yes. Solar roadways, great idea or greatest idea? If I have to pick one of those, I'm going to go with great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I can pick anything, here, bad. <laughs> There's just too many too many things that aren't really compensated for as um, much of the internet has discussed at length. This episode is quickly turning into a miscellaneous one as well. By design, at least. That's true. It happens. Well, it looks like, uh, it looks like 70 goes through Kansas City, so I'm okay there. <laughs> just, just in here looking at a map to see how the fiber optic solar powered roadways are going to impact him. <laughs> He's already signing up. He's got his pre order pre order done. Well, so I, I will just note. I don't. I don't know how it works in the other parts of the world, but but here in the Midwest, uh, and I just made the trip from Indianapolis up to Chicago this this past weekend to see relatives. There's construction going on all the time. We can barely maintain the concrete and asphalt roads we have. I'm I'm completely unsure about how we're going to either afford or maintain the fiber optic roads that uh, Brian is proposing. I like the idea, but I'm a little skeptical about the uh, uh, the implementation. I solved it. We're done. I got it. Okay, go um, ahead. We make the roads out of the same thing we make the undersea internet cables out of. I mean, how often do those have to get replaced? More often than you'd think? Nope, nope. It's exactly as often as I think, which is never. They placed them once. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, then they put a new one replacing it next to it. And then what do they do with the old one? So I'll eventually they're just going to have eight-lane highways everywhere? Sure. Uh, but we got to I mean, move on. We're, we're getting too deep down the rabbit hole. This, is, this isn't what people sign up for. But isn't it appropriate that we, we go down the rabbit hole talking about the, the episode that went down the rabbit hole? That, I guess that's a good point, sure. Comes full circle. Yeah. All right. Our next episode that we did, episode 59, was with uh, Mark French about engineering technology. And what I remember about this episode is Mark had some great stories, and they didn't go down the rabbit hole like we like to do. (laughs) (laughs) All of them had a point. Uh, He was far better at keeping us on task than uh, we were at keeping ourselves on task. Mm -hmm. He was a great podcast manager. (laughs) Yeah. Well, his story about catching items at the back end of the... uh the wind tunnel was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yes, one of one of many good ones that he told. And uh, I seem to recall he had a class, like an actual college class, about making a guitar. Yeah, he, does. he wrote several books on the subject as well, too. I think there's two or three? Two. Unless the third one came out. I think two. Unless he – was he introducing a new one? I don't think so. I'm trying to just r- recall. Now, the question is, on the podcast, Carmen – you said that these would make great Christmas gifts. Did anyone actually get the, these books? Oh, no, they did not. <laughs> <sighs> my, my brother's very hard to buy for, and uh, I don't think he would ever make a guitar, so I didn't want to waste the book. Oh, okay. Not that I didn't want Mark to get the sale. Right. You got him the Midas Plague instead. Mm-hmm. Shorter story. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but talking about the actual topic of the episode, uh, engineering technology degrees are extremely useful and often overlooked by people who, you know, might think they're less prestigious than a full engineering degree, which is not the case. And I may have just done it there when I said a full engineering degree. They're different. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that uh, thrive better. In a in the engineering technology program, but I think you're right. There's there's a lot of companies would rather hire an engineering technology major than a engineering major, just because the engineering major hasn't had much hands on experience. The the technology majors seem to get much more time to to operate devices and play with the the equipment, and uh, in many cases, that's useful to the employer. Yeah, yeah, to make a broad sweeping generalization. If if there's not a lot of R&D involved and you don't need someone who's extremely versed in the theory, it, it could work out well. Well, around my office, we're about three to one engineering technology versus engineers. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. And, and so in civil engineering technology, what's the – what do you do more of as a civil engineering technology major? Uh, reality is that the technicians tend to do a lot more of the, they actually do the bulk of the, the work. They deal with a lot mm-hmm. of the details. They get the things on paper. Okay. Um, while the engineering tends to be more the higher level, making sure everything fits together. And then the cases that don't fit the textbook. Okay. Um, I mean, that's even in a field that PE is absolutely you know, you're going to have a PE. Um, right. I mean, so, you know, the engineering technology graduates don't have PEs, but um, they still do a, a bulk of the, a bulk of the production work uh, and deal with a lot of, 
it's great to have them around because they do a wonderful job and, and, uh, and, and they take care of a lot of, a lot of problems so that they don't, the engineers don't have to deal with them. Yeah. Well, I knew, I know double ETs and, uh, METs and I had an idea what they did and I knew them in school, but I, I, I just don't know any CET. So didn't know, uh, exactly what they, uh, what they studied in, in college. Yeah. It's very similar stuff, just a lot less theory. Okay. And they, there's a lot of things that they know how to do, like draft that I really don't. Now, so when you're doing one of these big uh, civil engineering projects, Adam, mm-hmm. and you're going to you you come to a town and you say, "Hey, leaders of the town, population of the town, we want to put a seven lane highway through the middle of your small village." Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you really do this, but um, sometimes you need social license. Sometimes you need the permission of the community in order to do that. And so, in our next episode, in episode sixty, we talk with Pamela Rogalski about social license, about how one goes about trying to garner permission and support uh, from those that are affected by uh, technological change. Yep. Um, A really good point from this episode is not all engineering problems are technical. At least that's how Mm -hmm. I would uh, kind of paraphrase it. Um, Sometimes engineering challenges are political. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and certainly, I mean, and she was dealing, I think, more with with mining operations and and uh, uh, petroleum exploration. But mm-hmm. but if you have a road that's going through a small town and you're passing by a small town, mm-hmm. the political part of gar- garnering support so that that people aren't fighting you every step of the way and and want to see the road uh, bring economic success to their small town. If you can't convince them of that. Then the project goes nowhere. No matter how brilliant you are in designing the road or laying out the traffic uh, situation, it's not going to happen if you don't overcome the political problems. People aren't willing to uh, believe that I know what's best for them. <laughs> <laughs> Should all just listen to everything you say. Yeah. Now, sort of the uh, one of the backstories of this episode was that uh, Pamela uh, lives in Canada, and. She did not have a microphone, a good microphone for doing the podcast. So I said, well, no problem. I will send you a microphone. And so there are some small, you know, not too expensive microphones that I occasionally provide to guests when they're on the show. If they don't have a, a good microphone, uh, we've, we've done several episodes where guests have used some, you know, basically, you know, uh, a cheap headset and the, the sound quality wasn't very good. So I wanted to make sure that uh, Pamela got you know, a decent microphone for doing the podcast and, and, uh, well, I'll send it to you and how hard can it be? And it was amazingly difficult. Uh, you know, I thought that I could just dial up Amazon and say, Hey, send something to Canada, but it turns out I couldn't do that. She could order it from Canada within Canada, but I couldn't order it from the States to send it to Canada. And I tried several other places, you know, online to get it. And in the end, I found a store in her local area and she agreed to go pick it up and I would reimburse her for the cost. But I I hear, uh, you know, like on the Amp Hour, I hear Dave talking from time to time about, you know, all the problems of trying to get stuff shipped out from Australia. And, and uh, I thought, you know, how big can a problem it can be? Well, this is one of my first experiences trying to ship stuff here out of the States and uh, uh, amazingly, amazingly problematic. And that was just to Canada. You can drive a truck to Canada. Australia is an actual <laughs> island. <laughs> well, it's true. What's well, quite an amazing... Uh, Revelation or renaissance, if you will. Uh. 
Ooh, I think we were reaching on that segue. <laughs> what do you mean? It was perfectly natural and fluid. <laughs> um, so I thought it was quite it was quite well done, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, anyways, I'm our just next because I don't have any segues like that. <laughs> you mean you mean yours were good? I don't think I had any segues yet this episode. Oh. I think I've just jumped. Well, we're to August, so you might want to catch up on that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'll start planning ahead. Um, so our next episode, episode 61, uh, Renaissance en- Engineer, yeah. um, where we had uh, Dean Kozinski. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yanis Kozinski, um, founding dean of the Lausanne School of Engineering, come and talk to us a little bit about his program um, mm-hmm. and how they're trying to create a program that teaches engineers the skills that they're going to be expected in the future and uh, working with industry to come up with what industry really wants in a new engineer. Yes. Yeah. It emphasized soft skills and, you know, the traditional skills that you learn in engineering, but also a lot of open-ended design problems and a a strong co-op program as well. It was kind of interesting to listen to his story of basically starting a, uh, an engineering school from the ground up. I mean, there was basically, they started with a white sheet, (laughs) you know, white paper and, uh, designed it from there. And so it was interesting to hear, hear his stories of, of how they went about it. Although I, I did appreciate his, uh, his candor in noting that some of the school's wealthiest uh, alumni and hence uh, largest donors were C plus students that didn't really get the top grades <laughs> when they were in engineering school. Well, it just shows that you don't need to be a straight A student to be a good engineer. Exactly. It's well, quite an impact. And this was also the episode, Jeff, where you uh, earned the title of grand vizier of our podcast. Ooh, I'll have to have that on my business cards. Yes. They haven't come in yet already? Uh, no. <laughs> They're very special. I, I ordered them back in August, and I expect them next July. Fantastic. So in our next episode, uh, which was titled Role Model, we talk with Megan Pollock uh, about uh, how we as engineers can be more effective role models to those that are interested in engineering and to those uh, – who are also uh, to other engineers who are looking to us for guidance and advice. Yeah. Yeah. Having good role models and uh, mentors too is, is very important, you know, for, for an engineer, just, just seeing how things are done and having someone you can turn to when you need advice or, or help is a great thing. Yeah. I never had any really formal uh, mentors. Is, is that a, uh, and maybe we talked about it in this episode. Is that something that, that is advocated or, or talked about in, in engineering school these days? I think there are certain companies that push it as part of their corporate culture, where there's an HR-driven uh, mentorship program with a mentorship contract, or an agreement, I should say. Um, I've participated in one of those, but I don't think at the undergraduate level there's a lot of development of, you know, mentor, mentory, uh, or mentee, uh, relationships. Yeah. I've never had an official mentor contract, but I've just kind of had always someone who's taken that role in every job I've held. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's for me, it's always been more of a job thing than a, a school thing. I think the schools are still, you know, let's math, science, death, march. Lead them out. <laughs> Yeah. I will say that I've probably learned the most from my unofficial mentors in, uh, okay. in, in industry as opposed to 
probably actually more than I learned in school. But yeah, well, we come back to that thing. You got to have the piece of paper before they let you do anything in the industry. Oh yeah. Well, so if uh, if as an engineer we decide we want to advance our career, sometimes we decide that we should go for more schooling. And then we have the choice, well, we might go for a master's in engineering or we might go for a master's in business administration. And so in episode 63, we talk with Michael Lockman, uh, who started his career as an aerospace engineer. He went to the University of Illinois and uh, later on pursued a uh, an MBA from the University of – it wasn't the University of Chicago. It was – where did he get his MBA from? Was it at Kellogg? Kellogg, that's that's right. It's Northwestern at Northwestern University, and uh, so he he told us a little bit about that. And uh, his his background was really impressive. Uh, that uh, he had he had started out with not a whole lot of background in in uh, the medical device industry. Well, he had a manufacturing background, but became quite a respected uh, uh, financial advisor and and uh, uh, reviewer of of stock market values, that kind of thing. It was it was pretty impressive. Yeah, he really had a career that touched many different fields, and that's pretty interesting for someone who stayed very niche. Mm-hmm. One thing I would worry about branching out like that is being stuck making coffee or whatever because your degree isn't uh, in that particular area, but he seemed to thrive in the different environments. Why would he be stuck making coffee? I didn't quite catch that. Oh, it, I, I said the one thing I would be worried about would be getting stuck making coffee, you know, if I were to jump – fields as widely uh, as he did, you know, because I, I right. have no experience in that, but he, he seemed to thrive. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> he's, he's just a little braver than, than most, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you definitely need people like him to pave the way and show everybody what's possible. And, you know, sometimes just bring a fresh perspective to things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when people ask about whether they should, dive into a new career or make a change, uh, the off, the answer often is it depends. And in, uh, in episode 64, which was titled Reddit questions, I think our answer to virtually every question that we answered was it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put that one on a t-shirt, the engineering comments. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been your answer to the roadway question there, Adam. I think it was. I tried, at least. I think we cut you off. Fiber <laughs> optic roadways are a practical solution in certain circumstances. It depends. <laughs> in uh, very few practical circumstances. <laughs> yeah. So, I- interesting fact. This will be a little bit of the, uh, I don't know, director's commentary, I guess, like we've been doing for some of these episodes. The Reddit questions, I think, is it still our most popular episode, Jeff? It is... Not, but it's up there. In fact, I was just uh, getting ready to look up where it sat on the uh, it, on the list. It was for a, a while, I remember. It was for a long while the most popular. Uh, so let me. Uh, I'm waiting on uh, the good folks at Libsyn to download their statistics page for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The amount of prep work we do for these is off the charts. Yeah, we're absolutely incredible. Practically scripted here. Basically, John <laughs> Chigi looks up to us. <laughs> Looking back at our list of questions, did we actually did did we actually uh, cover what the proper programming language was? We tried to. We did Excel. I think we did. Did we come to a consensus, or did anyone contact us and inform us what the proper programming language was? 
Well, we, we talked in a few episodes later with James Trevelyan, who'd done some research on this, and he told us that BASIC in, uh, in Excel was the language that got used the most. I think the actual answer was, Adam was right. <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't matter, but BASIC and Excel are really what you're going to use, something along those lines. Because um, I always answer that question in the most I disagree wholeheartedly way. with BASIC, but... Just put all your bits on dip switches and tie them high or low. Yes. If it can't be done with combinatorial logic, it's not worth doing. Exactly. Ooh. But technically, isn't everything done with combinatorial logic? Yes. If you get down <laughs> deep enough. Strike that Strike that question. <laughs> all right. So the answer is that we've got uh, four, three episodes that have more downloads than Reddit questions at this point. The most is a whole new engineer. Second is Engineering Expert, which was with James Trevelyan. And the third one was our episode about what engineers do, which runs pretty much neck and neck with Reddit questions. Well, it looks like we're on to the, the next highest, or the highest, uh, least downloaded episode, A Whole New Engineer, where we talked with uh, Dave Goldberg, I believe another repeat guest. Yep, he came uh-huh. on He came on before our time. Or no, just, he was one of our first ones we did as, as all hosts. He was, yeah, he was back. His episode was Emergent Expectations, which was, it's like episode 37 or something. It was, I'd have to go look. Yeah, that was only about 10 or 12 episodes in once we all started doing this. Yeah. We were all so young back then. <laughs> so mostly we were talking about uh, his new book. Yes. Which he co-authored with a couple of other people. Uh, yeah, with Mark Somerville from... Uh, Olin College, and he had a uh, Catherine Whitney, Catherine Whitney, who helped helped uh, write the book. Yes, so. and she was also there for the discussion on the podcast as well. Yeah, she was. And it, you know, one of our favorite topics came back up again, which was revamping engineering education. And he had quite a few, you know, both him and Catherine had quite a few opinions on this matter. I guess you would have opinions after writing a book <laughs> on the uh, on the uh, the subject. By the way, he was on his emergence expectations was episode thirty seven. Boom! Now it's solidified. It's canon. <laughs> <laughs> Engineering Commons canon. <laughs> well, and and speaking of solid, if you want to uh, put something together and keep it. Uh, well assembled. You you may need nuts and bolts. And episode sixty six, which was one where we covered nuts and bolts, and so we we never really got a whole lot of feedback on that. I don't know whether people thought what in the world are they doing or whether they liked that episode. I have no idea. I I think it was probably more tolerable than engineering uh, accounting. accounting for engineers, but but maybe not. Maybe they go, geez, one more one more word about thread profiles, and I'm going to explode. So. We did end up talking for quite a while about nuts and bolts. Um, yeah, I, I learned a lot. I liked when we talked about fasteners. <laughs> <laughs> I got to yeah. say, actually, this is probably our most useful pos- podcast. Okay. I mean, I, I, there's a lot in here. I, as As a non-mechanical engineer who always ends up having to use screws, I generally just grab a box of screws and start like mixing and matching until the threads match. I had never, I had, I knew very little about 
how things actually were specified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ah, this it, looks coarse. This looks fine. Yeah, it, it's screws and fasteners for, I think, a lot of people are just one of those inventions and whatever that you just never think about. It's out of your mind. It's it's just, it's a screw. You just go get them. Yes. <laughs> right. It might as well be hot glue as far as we're concerned. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but, uh, but there's a... Yes, so but, arguably one of our more useful podcasts. Okay. Well, and, you know, from a mechanical standpoint... Uh, there are certain fasteners for certain uses in the same way that, you know, I know from the electrical standpoint, there are certain components for certain uses. And uh, so uh, to me, as a, as a mechanical engineer, I would early on look at capacitors and all capacitors seem pretty much the same to me. You know, a capacitor was a capacitor, uh, but there are some very big differences, you know, certain applications you don't want to be using the wrong type of capacitor. So, Oh, yeah. I'm certain for every story I can say about the time I was burned by cheap capacitors or whatever, you know, you, you've got one about using cheap screws or the wrong screws or, you know. Right. Everybody's got their problems for the things that are just supposed to work. Right. And when all else fails, use a vice grip. <laughs> <laughs> for capacitors or uh, actually. things? I think you can get a couple puff out of a vice grip. Yeah, maybe. With a vice grip and a hammer, you can do a lot. We should, exactly. we should make an exhaustive list of things you can do with a vice grip and a hammer. <laughs> oh. Well, if, if we were you to... You can definitely uh, steer a car with a vice grip. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, I just heard now, someone talking about doing that the other day. Steering a car? Yeah, with a vice grip. I can't remember. Yeah, the steering wheel came off, so they used the vice grip to. They yes. just connected the vice grip to the steering column. Did we? Yeah. Did we? Did we listen or watch the same thing? I'm trying to think of what that was. My life is a blur at this point. Yeah. Whatever. It's it's bad radio. It's bad radio if we keep thinking about it out loud. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I can't even tell if this is a dream. Well, speaking of dreams, our uh, next episode, episode 67, if we're going by the Engineering Commons canon, was our meta episode. So it could count as a dream episode. I suppose. Yes. And we, we talked with fellow podcaster John Chigi about, um, you know, podcasting in general as well as his career doing PLC design. That was fun talking PLCs. His career was, is actually quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's jumped from RF to oil and gas to PLC to, you know, you name it. And now he's, he's trying his hand at podcasting, hosting Pragmatic. Which has become one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I'm a few episodes behind. The The holiday season really backlogged me on podcasts. I've widely tried to disseminate the Stuxnet episode. <laughs> I don't know how many people I've sent it to actually listen to it, but it's, it's actually quite an amazing episode. Which episode? Sorry. Uh, the the one about the uh, hack and exploit of the Siemens. Uh, oh, the Stuxnet episode. Yeah, motor yes. uh, motor drivers. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorites. Or variable speed drives, if I'm remembering correctly. And the coffee episode is incredible yes. too. <laughs> I've I've been working my way through his episodes, and I'm I'm slowly wor- working through his back, you know, the backlog. But uh, I had to jump ahead to the coffee episode because I was really in- interested in discovering how he went about making the best coffee with an AeroPress. I love my AeroPress. It it gets a lot of use in my house. Have you gotten to the speaker cable episode? I did listen to that one, yes. 
I thought he went too easy on audiophiles. <laughs> that, I mean, he, I know he was trying to thread a, thread a very careful uh, uh, line on that particular issue, but, you know, he didn't get into the claims of the warmth and the uh, people who spend $200,000 per foot on cable, etc. That's That's just ridiculous in my opinion, but... Yeah, you can only cover so much in a podcast, as we we all know. Oh yes, two hundred thousand dollars a foot. Oh, I made that up, but there's <laughs> there, there's probably not unreasonable. There's a million dollar challenge challenge from James Randi for a bunch of different paranormal related phenomena. So if if you think you're psychic, we'll come up with a an experiment for you to prove that you're psychic. And if you can prove that you're psychic, we'll give you a million bucks and they have it in a bank, etc. So it's, it's not a hypothetical million dollars. Well, James Randi got sick of, uh, some of the high end speaker claims and actually $7,200 speaker cables and actually extended the million dollar challenge to the people making very high end speaker cables to in a double blind trial actually demonstrate that their cables were in any way better than bailing wire and they all backed out <laughs> uh, I, I'm no expert when it comes to uh, audio related things but speaking of experts yes ah, two oh. segues in a row boom chalk that one up our <laughs> next episode episode 68 was titled engineering expert and it had guest James Trevelyan on yeah, and so and so James has done uh, has written this book, the uh, making of an engineering expert or making of an expert engineer, and uh, he's done a lot of great research, I think, into this area where he's actually going out and talking with practicing engineers as as opposed to just uh, talking with engineering educators or or talking you know theorizing what might work in in a uh, engineering environment. He's actually doing the research about what goes on in the real world, so. I'm very high on his book and and uh, the research that he's he's undertaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really getting his hands dirty trying to figure out the the truth. I like how he made a comment uh, along the lines of project management was stolen from engineering, <laughs> and now is its own d- discipline. Right? <laughs> yeah, he he seemed you know to think what was important is what what actually engineers actually do on a job, not what they're supposed to do on a job or what we think they do on a job. Yeah, and he talks a lot about these these tacit skills, these skills that you can't even describe. Uh, you know, sort of like ride, riding a bicycle is a tacit skill. You you know how to do it, but you can't describe how you do it. And so uh, there are a lot of things that we do as engineers. We through experience uh, we we learn, and it's hard to explain, and definitely hard to test. And yet it seems, at least through his research, that a, a great deal of what what engineers do are these tacit implicit skills that are that are hard to test and hard to explain it, yeah i mean a lot of my job hinges on doing you know delicate rework on circuit boards and hacking things where they don't belong and you know sure i could tell you how to do it you hold the board steady and you get some tweezers and a hot iron and you solder the parts down but that there's way more to it than that <laughs> right and it, it i just kind of do these things second nature and I, I you know i couldn't even tell you the steps to properly properly do it other than those big basic ones yeah and so you've you've done something to uh to earn a certain amount of uh credibility in the uh the engineering workplace 
Uh, one might say you you have certain experience credentials at this point. Your, your bona fides, as they're called, I believe. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we had uh, Gary Berlini, who's the dean of the College of Technology at Purdue University, on in episode sixty nine, and we talked uh, we talked some about uh, his effort to change the School of Technology, his engineering technology programs, and move them from. It sounds like he's trying to move from a grade based curriculum to a competency-based curriculum where they don't care what you do to earn that competency, but if you can pass the test, they will give you the degree. And uh, so I, I was I was really, I don't know, impressed slash amazed that they're willing to do this. So they're sort of making up the rules on the fly. They're admitting we don't know exactly how this is going to go, but we're going to take this fairly large school of uh, technology and try to make this transition on the fly. And so I've got to give uh, kudos to him for, for having the, uh, the courage uh, to make these changes happen because it's not without uh, career risk. Yeah, De- definitely. It's a very lofty goal and a, a noble one at that. Uh, we wish him all the best. <laughs> if, if he didn't succeed, it would be very awkward. <laughs> right. yeah. Now you're getting into the groove of it, Carmen. <laughs> Oh yeah, it only took me thirty episodes worth of worth of segueing to, yeah. to fall into a groove here. <laughs> right. And, and and one would think that an awkward engineer might be somebody you don't want to know, don't don't want to really associate with just because it's uncomfortable. But in essence, uh, in actuality, Sam Feller was a great engineer to know. I'd even say he was delightful to have on the podcast. <laughs> he was. Yes. Um and he, he talked a lot about uh you know, designing designing things kind of really for fun, you know. I mean, one could argue that yes, there's a utility to having the perfect cookie dunking cup, but you know, really, it, it's just a fun design, and it still posed a lot of interesting challenges. You know, what what the hell kind of plastic do you use? I don't know. Neither right. did he, and it, it, it's problems you have to solve. But the best part was that he has a mechanical engineering background, but he was most excited about talking. Uh, to our electrical engineers, to Brian and Carmen, about his uh, his optimization circuit that he had designed uh, to minimize power usage. Yes, with his uh, analog <laughs> voltmeter clock, which, uh, congratulations yeah. to Sam, since this episode, he's started and surpassed his goal for the Kickstarter. Awesome. Yes. Oh, great. It's a very exciting project. It is, yes. And I, I think uh, everybody who backed that project can... Can expect it in I think April or so of 2015. I'm not sure on the date. Obviously, check his Kickstarter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, congratulations to Sam, and he he had a lot of interesting stories about getting his company started. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a side job too, really. It's not even uh, his full time job. He still does consulting work. Yeah, and that's that's the most impressive part to me is that he's able to uh, manage the side business while he's still maintaining a full time job. Yeah, but but it sounds like the the biggest hurdles aren't really the technical ones. It's more the the marketing and the supply chain, and you know, making sure you have a product that's worth buying. Right, but he he does a nice job of balancing all those. He he would not have a product if he couldn't with with his new um, analog meter clock. He couldn't have a product unless he had solved the the power consumption. Yes, problem. no one's going to buy a clock that dies in a week. But at the same time, he had to have the artistic sense to know how to package it, you know, how to make it look like a product that people would want to buy and how to package it in a manner that, that, uh, the, uh, resellers would stock it and, 
you know, he's, he's an, he, you know, he's a good example of someone who is sort of encompassing all these skills that we talk about engineers need. I think Giannis Kaczynski would say he's a Renaissance engineer. <laughs> I think he probably would say that. Yeah, he, he was a, a big advocate of our of our listeners and just engineers in general, learning how to sketch and take an industrial design course to make sure there's the aesthetics to your problem or to your project, and you know, being able to communicate and visualize your ideas through sketching. He said was very important and helped him out. Right, he was talking about spending like an hour a day at it. I mean, it, this was not just a a little thing that he picked up on the side. He was he spent some yeah, serious he time course too trying to improve his sketching. Yeah, he said it helped him immensely. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I think he said it, it uh, propelled him down the avenues of design. <laughs> that was that was a pretty bad one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Sorry, we're getting tired. There's only a few episodes left. <laughs> yeah. So in uh, in episode 71, we talked with uh, Chris Gamble, the guy who really started this podcast, about uh, his recent work in Ooh, developing a the- new pair. Go ahead. I was going to say, is this the multiverse split here? Because in one timeline, we did not talk to Chris Gamble. Ah, uh-huh. all right. Well, let's jump to the timeline where we did, and and okay. go from there. Well, in this one where we did talk to him, we talked about his work in uh, designing a parametric search engine for uh, electric components, electronic components, and uh, talked a little bit about you know the whole the whole process as an engineer of basically looking up parts. You in for a lot of jobs, you have to be aware of what components are out there. You have to spend time looking up parts, finding out what parts meet spec, meet cost demands. You know, at times we're sort of glorified, you know, catalog engineers. We're just looking stuff up, but that is what, what many of us have to do these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We also learned about uh, his trials and tribulations in designing a new website and, you know, or at least helping to. <laughs> right. And how that differs from designing in hardware. Which right. uh, was pretty entertaining. And I learned that, that even Adam had to do some of this catalog shopping, that there were actually catalogs to go to for asphalts and concretes and steels. Who knew? Yeah, they're, they're very heavy because they come with samples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in some ways, I wish. <laughs> actually, I would love it if the DigiKey catalog came with a sample. Or that would be cool. And as weird as it may seem, I actually spend more time at work looking at DigiKey than any other catalog. Really? Hmm. Now, is is this because you're in traffic engineering and you're more worried about the, the lights and the controls? Yeah. I end up buying uh, electronic components, relays, and things like that on occasion. Or maybe not even on occasion. Um, yeah. Things like relays and controls and power supplies. and These aren't mandated by the state yet? Well... The le- the legislators aren't telling you which power supply you have to buy. No, thankfully, not yet. I'll give them t- give them time. <laughs> so, as we talk about design avenues, um, you know, you can spin your wheels looking at catalogs all you want, but eventually you're going to have to get something done. And getting stuff done was the topic of uh, our last episode of the year, episode seventy two, um, where we talked about the various methods of organizing your tasks. I think this episode really came down to, uh, first I realized I'm not very organized, um, and that there's a lot of different ways to get organized, but in the end, the tool doesn't really matter. Just get it done. Mm-hmm. Figure out a way that works for you. Yep. Pick, pick a system, see if it works, modify it, make it your own, you know, decide if you're an analog or digital guy, whether you like a notebook or Evernote or 
you know, some sort of task managing system. Post-its. Whiteboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think really, you know, this project management system, there may be something that's imposed upon you by the company you work for or the organization you work with. But for keeping track of your personal uh, activities, it really is a, a personal choice. And, and you, you got to spend some time figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and how much effort you're willing to put into it. If you're, if you're not willing, if you're not wanting to put a whole lot of effort, I guess it doesn't matter which method you use. But if you want to get something that works well for you and you're really concerned about getting a lot of stuff done and improving your productivity, you've got to spend some time looking at your process. Yeah, yeah. Which one's the best? It depends. <laughs> well, that's true. Whatever works for you is the one that's best. Yeah. And uh, that that concludes our, our brief episode summary of 2014. Well, that only took an hour and a half. Woohoo. <laughs> not, not too bad. So any uh any uh big picture things you want to get done in uh in twenty fifteen? I'll play that stuff close to the vest. Maybe because I haven't even <laughs> keep, thought keep of it. Keep it yet. a keep it a secret. Yeah, yeah, something like that. We'll go with that. Okay. But uh yeah, another another year in the books. It's been fun working with you guys. Can't wait for the next couple episodes to come out and look forward to the twenty sixteen review. Twenty fifteen review. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the 2016 review too, but let's, <laughs> let's tackle one year, one year at a time. <laughs> one year at a time, right? <laughs> Ooh, and, and some timeline we just kickstarted a time travel loop, so it's going to get messy for the uh, the canon experts. Yeah. Wow, you know, I think I'm just going to go with uh, start putting 2016 on everything because I just started putting 2014 on everything, <laughs> <laughs> so it'll save me a year. Get ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. You know, then I'll only spend one year uh, putting the wrong date on something. <laughs> Boom. And, uh, the the man is thinking ahead. <laughs> and with that, I think we just need to borrow from Porky Pig then. Deep, 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 deep. That's all, folks. All right. A terrible Porky Pig impression. <laughs> it was pretty bad, yeah. We, we can edit that out. Uh, That's fine. All right. So we're wrapping up the year. So we really want to thank our listeners. Yes, we really would have no show without you guys. We appreciate you guys listening, sticking through the uh, uh, the good episodes, the occasional bad episodes, <laughs> and our cheesy segues. <laughs> or at least it would be uh, much less useful. Yes, without you, none of this would be possible. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Which may be what it is anyway. We don't know for sure. But. Yes, it would be a lot more boring. It would just be the four of us talking to ourselves. At least people are downloading it, whether they're listening or not. But, yeah, we appreciate it. You know, we'd love to hear your stories. Like we said in the beginning of the episode, come on, you know, and uh, let, let's keep the conversation going. Well, I appreciate uh, uh, the time we've been able to spend uh, not only doing this podcast, but the other podcasts during the past year. So thank you, gentlemen. And uh, we'll we'll call this one done. All right. Great. Yeah. All right. Have a good evening. All right. Bye, guys. Good evening, guys. Goodbye. Bye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson. 